Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and this week for SYSK Selects, I've selected our episode on Rasputin, the Mad Monk. And I remember it was recorded during a weird time at How Stuff Works. For some reason, we were recording in an old corner office and there were weird blackout drapes on the windows. It was very odd, but it lent itself perfectly to this episode. Uh, and a heads up, I should say, uh, this one... It has a lot of talk about genitalia, so if you're a parent, you may just want to be aware of that. Are we talking about Rasputin? You're darn tootin'. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. That's right. Are we doing Rasputin? Yeah, we're doing Rasputin. <laughs> okay. No disputin', Rasputin. That's right. Actually, there is a lot of disputin'. But there's tons of it. The man's whole life is in dispute, yeah. pretty much. Mystic, uh, hypnotist? Possible healer? Porn star? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Not a porn star. He was into some freaky stuff. He could have been. He's a big dude, six foot four. Yeah, I saw that written down. And, like, uh, you know, there's pictures of him, which is great, because this is a time in our world history where we had photographs of these folks. Right. But even 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 that said, like, the fact that there are surviving photographs of him when he was just some peasant yeah. in Russia really speaks to the impact that he had on the people around him. Totally. There are very few Russian peasantry portraits, you know? Yeah, I bet. Or studies of a specific person from, like, you know, 1880, yeah. 1890 even. That's a good point. Um, but there's pictures of Rasputin before he became famous. Yeah, and those creepy eyes. Yeah. It depends on the photo, I think. Like, I think some of them they make a little more creepy. Yeah. Some of them look photoshopped. Yeah. Like the glowing ones and stuff. Well, plus also when he's like, I think he turns it on sometimes too, like, oh, look at yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Freak. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about Rasputin. I think everybody kind of has a, a certain idea. He's also known as the Mad Monk. Yeah. And uh, he was a prolific lover. Yeah. He was a kinky man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he had the ear of the uh, the Tsar and the Tsarina, the last ones, Tsar Nicholas II and his wife. Of the, the Romanov? Yeah, the Romanov. That's another way to put it. Yeah. So Alexandra, uh, Alexandra and Nicholas II um, invited Rasputin to their court, which we'll get into. Let's just start chronologically here, though. Okay. Like birth? Yeah. Well, he was born uh, Grigory uh, Ifimovich Rasputin in 1869, Siberia. I imagine being born in Siberia in 1869 is just a big ball of laughs. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Or in 2013. Yeah. Um and he supposedly, although this was disputed by his daughter, I believe. Yeah, um, I want to say, for me, this is so the much fact of the podcast. Rasputin had children. Yeah. Like, he had a family. He was married from age 20 on. Yeah, and they still exist, apparently, in, in France. Uh, one of them lives in Los Angeles, I believe. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Porn star? I don't think so. <laughs> but, I mean, think about it. Rasputin, and just bear that in mind, he was married and had a family. Yeah. This whole time, from from age twenty on. Yeah, that's a little weird, actually. Yeah. So his daughter, I, th- I believe, disputed this, but uh, apparently, early on, his religious activity was, um, and he was involved with a group called the the Clists with a K and an H. Uh huh. And a Y. 
and why. And then everything else normal. And then um, they were into some serious, like, you know, sexual activity, like self-flagellation that that erupted into orgies. Right. Self-flagellation in front of a group. Yeah. And then people would be like, okay, it's humpy time. Yeah. With the idea that in order to cleanse yourself of sins, you just had to do a lot of that sin. Is that right? Yeah. And the reason that they would have uh, orgies was because it was part of their religious belief was that if somebody was having trouble with sin, you had to help them work it out. Get rid of the sin by doing the sin. Right. And apparently it was a sin to have an orgy, and so they did it a lot. Interesting. And they were hated among the Russians, basically. They were mistrusted. Yeah. They were just viewed on, upon as weird. And they were actually fairly subversive, and they knew that they were viewed like this. So one of the tenets of being a Klist was that you went to the church, the Russian Orthodox Church, uh-huh. and you were... Fervent and outspoken and super into the Russian Orthodox Church uh, by all outward appearances. Like, oh, really? That was what you did if you were a clist. And, the, and then your dirty secret was right. uh, you would whip yourself and have sex with like 20 people at the same time. Exactly. Nice. Well, like I said, his daughter disputed that he was involved, although historians say that he was. So who knows? I read that she said that he he was rejected by the clists. Oh, really? Yeah. Well... He might have. <laughs> well, never mind. We'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> he may have been too much for them. Um, so he built his reputation traveling around Russia as a, as a healer, um, as a as a mystic and a preacher, and eventually landed in Saint Petersburg in 1905. Somehow got introduced to the aforementioned Tsar and Tsarina. Yeah, but before that, he had become he had undergone a religious conversion. Apparently, from about the age of 12. He was like doing it with anything he could get his hands on. Um, and uh, I don't know what age, but I would say before 20, uh-huh. between 12 and 20, some uh, monk came through town, came through the village and said, you know what? I think you should come with me to the monastery. I think you're kind of special. You've got some talent. Exactly. <laughs> Young man. So he took him to the monastery and uh, and that's where Rasputin underwent this religious conversion there and came out like fer- like really fervently religious, like the right. real deal. Um, he actually walked from Russia to Palestine and wow. back. Walked. That's not a f- short trip. Is there a dispute in that or is that? Not that I understand. Okay. I haven't seen that disputed. Gotcha. But I think... I think that's a, that's a good point to bring up. Anything that sounds even remotely a stretch uh-huh. that's attached to Rasputin, you should probably take with a grain of salt. Yeah, because I mean, because he was such an odd, <clears throat> unique individual in our in the world history. There's been like countless stories, and I'm sure at the time there were just like rampant stories about who this guy was. Yeah, and not only that, most of them were written and spread by his enemies. Yeah, he was a very hated person contemporarily. So the original accounts are of people who are trying to make him look bad. Sure, and then people started basing biographies on those original accounts. Yeah, and that's why he's got such a bad reputation. There's so much lore and legend and, and right. confabulation surrounding him. That's so you you don't really know much about him. But, well he was for him he was just like I'm just this a giant Siberian monk looking for a good time. <laughs> like why's everyone out to get me? Why's everybody got so many hang ups? <laughs> I know, all the haters. So yeah, he he makes it he's already kinda known as a uh, a star a start it? Uh star it. Start, yeah. Which a, a religious advisor. By the time he gets to Saint Petersburg. Yeah. And he's hanging out there. He's like, we're going to make it in the big city. This is where the Romanovs live. 
this is a good place for me to be. And apparently he, like you said, impressed somebody enough that he was taken to the Romanoffs and introduced to them at court. This is might as well be Boogie Nights. Yeah, it is, isn't you it? You know? Yeah. He's Eddie from the Valley. Yeah. Um, all right, so he does get introduced and worms his way into the inner circle. Not worms his way through. He earned his place in the inner circle. He definitely did. By healing um, a hemophiliac son, Alexis, who was the heir to the throne and very important to keep around and alive. And uh, Yeah, he was the only boy in the family. Yeah, despite being a hemophiliac, he would do dumb things like ride horses and fall off them. Right. And apparently, on the first time, that happened the second time, um, he was not doing so hot, and Rasputin supposedly healed him, possibly through hypnosis. So, with hemophilia, I didn't really realize this. I always thought hemophilia was where you cut yourself, and like the, the your 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 wound wouldn't uh, clot. It's that as well, right? Or not at it all? It is. Yeah. But it, I thought that was it. Right. Apparently, the much bigger problem is with internal bleeding. Yeah, because you don't and, know what's going yeah, on. Right. And that's what Alexi had. And uh, they were worried about him becoming a morphine addict, so they wouldn't give him any morphine. So he would just suffer like this these bouts of internal bleeding. Poor kid. And Rasputin, the doctors couldn't do anything. Right. And Rasputin came along the first time and, and basically just took away his pain. Yeah, and in 1912 it happened again. This is after the horse fall. Yeah. Um, and he was, I believe, not there at the time, and Tsarina gave him a ring and said, Hey, Rasputin, we need you to do your thing again. And he sent a telegram that said, Don't sweat it. He's going to recover the next day. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, like, you know, long distance hypnosis or whatever happened, or maybe healing prayers, who knows? They, or maybe they, none of that. Yeah, there's <laughs> also a, a hypothesis that he just, he, exerted the first calming influence over the house about this matter yeah. that anyone ever had and that that in and of itself had a, a some sort of healing effect i think cuz supposedly he yeah. was known to be a very calming figure well, and I when think, you're in his presence um, with hemophilia i think to lowering your stress levels will help so. i yeah i'll bet yeah I'm man sure. stress is a killer isn't it it is literally so um at the same time while this is all going on uh, like you said, there were people out there that did not like him. Um, one of which, not the least of which, was Prime Minister uh, Peter Stolopin, and he was like gathering a case, putting a case together, basically to present and get him ousted from the uh, from the court. Yeah, saying this guy's a crazy sex pervert. Yeah, I think he was not the first one to accuse him of being a clist, but like really was taking that and running with it. Yeah, like he wanted him gone, and he died. Being, uh, shot at the opera before he could make this case. Yeah. And some say that old Tsar Nicholas might have been behind that. Yep. But we don't know that for sure. Yeah, he was the Tsar. Yeah, they were what not are keeping you records very well in Russia at the turn of the century, were they? Especially not of cover-up scandals. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Peter Stolopin comes up. He tries it. Fails. Yeah, not tried to kill him. Just tried to get him uh, removed. Right. Um, we should let, let's, let's provide a little backdrop here. Okay. At about this time, this is uh, 1910, 1912, 1914. Sure. Um, Russia is undergoing, the world is undergoing a huge transition. Yeah. From agriculture to industrialization. Yeah. And the Russian peasantry loves the Tsar. They love those guys. Yeah. But the is back in these agrarian days and everybody's moving forward into the factories and that uh-huh. there's no, that the Tsar has no, um, love for these new people. And this is where Lenin 
came from and the Bolsheviks came from were these right. factories. So this is all going on in the background. That's in Russia. Outside of Russia, Europe is going to war for World War One. So Russia is torn between uh, the, these domestic problems and these international problems. Yeah. And it's headed by a family that is becoming viewed as increasingly out of touch yeah. with what's going on in Russia and therefore have are losing legitimacy pretty quickly. And now all of a sudden, there's this weird guy yeah. who humps anything that moves <laughs> and has the ear of the czar and the czarina. And who, where did he come from? What is, what's going on? Yeah, and increasingly less influence on the czar apparently over the years, but increasingly more influence on the czarina. Yeah. She was way into him, especially after he healed the sun twice, or supposedly did. Right. And, uh, well, she definitely believed he did. So, oh yeah, that's, that's all. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Say it. That's all it took. <laughs> and uh, he even called the mama and papa. Which yeah, I thought was interesting. I think that's uh, manipulative. He was probably. I take it from my impression that he was being manipulative by calling them that, and I'll bet it was creepy. I bet it was. So he's in the newspapers and stuff. He's he's becoming a well-known guy, and I'm sure the industrialists are reading this. And like you said, who is this guy that's at the center of all this? Yeah. And he's got this great influence. And who who even is he even? <laughs> well, he he had not only influence, but once once Russia joined World War One, um, Yeah, it was they, all over. It, well, it was. Tsar Nicholas goes off to command the army. And um, the Tsarina is left in charge, which means Rasputin is... Sort of in charge. Yeah, very, not in charge, very but, close to being in yeah. charge himself. And he was in a position to stack uh, well-paying, high-level government jobs with friends Cronius. who were incompetent and inept. And they almost completely undermined the infrastructure of Russia. Like, trains didn't operate. Um, armaments weren't built for the war effort. People weren't fed. There was, like, nobody running the show. Nobody who knew what they are doing right. was running the show. And it was all Rasputin's fault. And this was the last straw. Yeah. This is what led to the revolution. Well, and also to some murder attempts. Well, yeah, he's like Bob Marley. People would try to kill him, and it just <laughs> didn't happen, you know? Uh, the first one, on June 16th, um, this woman, uh, Kionia Kosmishna Guseva, Oh, that was good, Chuck. Thank you. Apparently was sent by a former friend of his named Sergei Truvanov. He was a monk who was tight with Rasputin, but they split up in 1911 because he was kind of disgusted by his, you know, humpiness. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, apparently sent this woman to murder him, and she stabbed him in the stomach. um, And, like, it was gnarly. Apparently he he had some entrails hanging out. Jeez. It was easily a mortal wound. But uh, here in the article, article they just said, like, he healed a few weeks later. They made it sound like he healed himself. Mm -hmm. He had, like, surgeries, and I think it was, like, you know, eight to ten weeks of recuperation. I don't think there was, like, any mystery to that. But they did manage to save his life. Um, But he wasn't the same after that. He became an opium user. And uh, the daughter um, was one that was just like, it was just different after that. That sucks. He had bad, like, stomach problems, um, which we'll get to later, actually. That'll, that'll play a role. See, there's one other aspect of Rasputin that I kind of gathered about him from researching him. And that was, like, he had this um, he had this thing. Not he that thing. He did. He had, he had kind of a light. He had an exuberance. He, yeah. he loved life. He... Um, 
he didn't seem to be a, uh, even though he's been accused of all sorts of manner of crimes, we don't really know what he did or didn't do back then because, again, contemporary sources are like Is he the devil? Against Is he, him. yeah. But he seemed to have something that was really neat about him. Like, he was somebody that I think a lot of people wanted to be around. Yeah. And the idea that, like, that went out of his stomach wound. Oh, yeah. That's sad. It is. Not as sad as what ultimately happens to him, but but let's keep going. All right. What ultimately happened is uh, a plot was hatched, and we'll get to the the newer, possibly truer story, but here's the original story. Prince uh, Felix uh, Yusupov, he was the the husband of the niece of the Tsar Nicholas on December 29th, 2016. He, he was also the gay lover of the person who was also an heir to the throne if Alexei didn't make it, who the Brits favored. So keep that so in mind. So he was well. married to the niece and the gay lover of... Yeah. So of, he had both his bases covered, basically. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, good for him. 1916, that's pretty, you know, forward thinking. Sure. So uh, he plotted to... We're, we're all going to evolve into bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. He, uh, he, he plotted to kill Rasputin to save Russia. And here's where things really, like the details of how this went down, are really highly disputed to this day. Yeah. Um, What's supposedly, his name? Yusupov? Yeah, supposedly he invited him over, said, hey, uh, come take a look at my wife. He'd like her. I also read that he said, we got a gypsy wine party going on over here, and Rasputin's like, I'm there. Well, here's the, here's the deal, though. He gets there, he, he laces pastries and cakes and, and wine with cyanide, enough to kill like five men. Supposedly Rasputin starts chowing down. Nothing happens. <laughs> the daughter disputes this and says he would not. He had bad stomach problems yeah. after his stabbing incident, and he didn't drink wine or eat sweets anymore. Oh, okay. That's what she said. Well, that explains the later finding. That's what she said. Yeah. Um, it does explain the later finding, perhaps. Um, but he had hyperacidity in his stomach, and she's like, he just wouldn't have been doing that. Okay. Or possibly he was immune. That was another theory, which I think is bunk. That he had uh, taken part in uh, mithridatism, which is like slowly building up your immunity to poison by ingesting small amounts of poison. I've been doing that for years. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Oh, is that why? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, or maybe they have a theory that the cyanide might have vaporized when they baked the stuff in cakes. Oh, yeah. With the high temperatures. Dummies. But at any rate, the poison had no effect on them. And they were like, what is going on with this creep? He could have killed 10 men with this stuff. Or an ox, uh, Yusupov later said. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So they said, I don't know what we'll do. Let's just shoot him in the back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Easy peasy. Easy peasy. And uh, he did so. He fell down and died, they thought. He checked his pulse. Wait, wait. Like, First they went upstairs and partied. Well, uh, they, they checked him out and then, like, he's dead. Let's go party. Right. And then he came back down, I think, to get a coat or something and checked him again. To get a, <laughs> I think that's what the, the story, how the story goes. Really? Yeah. Okay. And um, that's when Rasputin's just like, Ugh, he comes alive and like attacks the guy. After they shot him twice in the back, right? I think at least once, two times at that point. I think so. It ended up being four total, <laughs> with one in the forehead, right? Which we'll get to as well. Okay, so they shot him once, and then they came back downstairs, and he's still moving. Not still only, moving. not only is he still alive, he manages to get to his feet and bust out the door. Yeah, and out into the yard, out into Yusupov's yard. <laughs> and that's when they shot him twice. Yeah, and s- beat him like severely. There's pictures of his body. Like yeah. he, he was severely beaten yeah. with a rubber club. Um, 
tied him in a blanket, dumped his body in the, the Neva River. So let's go over this again. Shot in the back once. Mm-hmm. He gets up, goes outside. They shoot him two more times. They beat him with the club. Yeah. They wrap him up in a blanket. Well, no, somebody shot him in the forehead, too. That was a fourth shot. Okay. Shot him in the forehead, wrap him up in a blanket, drop him into a frozen river yeah. that they've carved a hole into. Yeah. And then that's that for Rasputin. That's that. Until they find him. And right. they found him, and his arm was outstretched like he'd managed to struggle free of the blanket. Right. He managed to partially free himself, indicating that maybe he wasn't even dead when they put him in the water. So they did an autopsy on him, and the autopsy lists Rasputin's mode of death as hypothermia. Not, right. not, not being shot four times, not yeah. being beaten to death. Including the forehead shot, which they, all manner of like evidence says that this is a, was a kill shot by a professional. Yeah. The, but supposedly he died of hypothermia. Supposedly. And then mysteriously they didn't, although now that you've explained it, not so mysteriously, they didn't find arsenic in his system. Right. But that until, I guess, recently. I think it was cyanide. Cyanide, okay. Yeah. Um, was a, uh, that was a big point of lore. Like, he ate all this stuff, this paste, this cyanide-liced pastry. Yeah. And, like, it didn't even show up in his system. Right. Well, it sounds like it didn't show up in his system because he didn't actually eat that stuff. And we have great cause to wonder if he was beaten. Was he? Yeah, he was beaten. Okay. So he was shot four times. Yeah. And I guess he was dumped in the river. Yeah. But what's in dispute then? Who uh, shot him? Yeah, who who shot him and what was the actual cause of death? Did he really free his arm or was that just something that, you know, that happened? Gotcha. Like what was the cause of death? And did they cut his penis off? <clears throat> well, that's a big one too. Uh supposedly, <laughs> man, all these double entendres are I know, totally accidental, so hard. man. I I apologize. Oh, there's another one. Go I ahead. haven't I haven't met a single Oh my god, I just need to stop. So supposedly <laughs> they may have uh cut his penis off and it is Changed hands throughout the year, maybe even belonging to a French collector who loaned it to a Russian museum to put on display for a little while. There are pictures, um, and we just don't know if that's it or not. If it is, it's ginormous. Good, good for Rasputin. So much so that um, apparently, by all, no one's actually tested it, but just looking at it, some biologists feeling like, that's a horse. That's from a horse or a cow. Yeah. Or, as you said earlier, it looked like a baby's arm holding an orange. <laughs> I think it is. So, we don't know if that's his penis or not. It definitely adds a, another little strange sidebar to the story. It definitely does. You know? Uh, also, we should say that after he was buried and the Bolsheviks revolted, um, they dug him up and burned his body. Oh, yeah? Because... I don't think I knew that. We should say the Bolsheviks did revolt. Yeah. The uh, Tsar abdicated the crown in March of, uh, I think, 1917. Uh-huh. And then the uh, revolution happened. They were placed under house arrest. And then, very famously, the entire Romanov family, their doctor, two servants, and the family dog were all executed by Bolshevik revolutionaries, including Anastasia. Yeah, and, Re- and Rasputin had pre- had predicted that, as along with his own demise, before yeah. he died, uh, writing, uh, if it was one of your relations who have wrought my death... Then no one in the family, none of your relations will remain alive for more than two years. Yep. That and was that, my Rasputin. And that's <laughs> what happened. I mean, like, the he was killed in uh, December, the end of 1916. They were killed before the end of 1918, so he was right. And apparently he'd also written that he didn't expect to make it to January 1st. Oh, really? And he was killed two days before it. 
Yeah, there were disputes about the date too, but I think they settled on December 30th. So what's up with the, uh, the, the weirdness now? Well, they've dug into this, uh, more recently in the 2000s. Uh, Scotland Yard has a detective named Richard Cullen uh-huh. and a historian named Andrew Cook. And they have a theory that I think is probably true that it was the SIS, the British Secret Service, actually led the plot to kill him. Uh, and modern forensics believe they have tied the gun and the caliber of the bullet in the forehead was different than the other three. Oh, yeah. And so they have tied that back because it was a, not a rare gun, but rare enough to where they tied it back to this guy. Um, Oswald Rayner? Oswald Rayner, who was a, a British officer who was there. He was there. He was also a friend of Yusupov. And while he's not named in Yusupov's memoirs about the murder of Rasputin, which yeah. Yusupov boasted about frequently, um, he does appear suddenly in that same time. So he's in right. the city. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, the, a lot of, well, a retired Scotland Yard detective and an historian both think that, that he's the one who carried out the kill shot. Yeah, and Rayner actually supposedly told his cousin that he was there and that he was the guy that did the deed. But um, before he died in 1961, he burned all his papers and he only had one son and he died just a few years later. Mm-hmm. So all evidence is gone except for a memo. Uh, a memo was sent between Rayner's superiors, um, John Scale and Stephen Alley, who weren't there at the time, and the memo says this, quote, Although matters have not proceeded entirely to plan, which, you know, that's pretty true, yeah. <laughs> uh, our objective has clearly been achieved. Reaction to the demise of dark forces, which was Rasputin's code name, have been well received by all, although a few awkward questions have already been asked about wider involvement. Rayner is attending to loose ends and will no doubt brief you on your return. Wow. So it sounds pretty... Rock solid to me that the SIS was might have been behind it. Right. So th- there was another conspiracy that's actually probably just a broader look at that. That um, it was actually the Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain, David Lloyd George, who was uh-huh. ultimately behind this plot to murder Rasputin and install Yusupov's gay lover, the the prince. Right. And the the whole reason for either of these theories, the whole reason the Brits would want to get involved in the first place was because they were worried that either, one, Rasputin was going to persuade uh, Nicholas to withdraw from the war, yeah, or he was going to continue undermining the credibility of the, the um, Romanovs so much that the, there was a, re- a revolution. Right. And either way, Russia was going to withdraw from the war, which is a big problem because they were keeping Germany busy on the Western Front, right. which meant that Germany was divided between the Western Front with Russia and the Eastern Front with the Brits. Dicey. It was. So if Russia pulled out, then Germany could put all of their attention on the the Western Front. Right. The, yes. Where I all the was first, quiet. I got them wrong the first time. I got them backwards. Yeah. But you corrected yourself. Thank you. Yeah. So... um Maybe so. Maybe Britain. And, you know, it makes sense if it was SIS, it might have gone all the way to the top. Yeah. The prime minister. Yeah, it's true. You know? So that's Rasputin. That's everything there is to know about him and completely factual every word of it. (laughs) Yes. Rasputin. Well, uh, let's see. If you want to learn more about Rasputin, you can type his name into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. That is capital R-A-S-P-U-T-I-N. Rasputin. And since I said Rasputin, that means it's time for a message break. I know uh, it's time for listener mail. Josh, this is a very special listener mail. 
because uh, of Petra's Cherry. Oh, that is special. This oh, wasn't even to us, one. you know? I know. This is like, forget you guys. This is for Jerry. So, uh, here's how it goes. I've been listening to your show from the very beginning, guys, and I have a, never missed an episode. I listen to about 15 podcasts on a regular basis, and listening to those other podcasts makes me truly appreciate the job that Jerry does on your show. Uh, while listening to other shows, I often hear pieces that were intended to be edited out, but obviously were not. Uh, this is something that is extremely distracting to me. Uh, what usually happens is one of the hosts starts a sentence, doesn't come out right, so they go back and start that sentence over again. It's not done in a very natural way, and it drives me crazy, kind of like finding an obvious typo in a book. Boy, I hate that, too. Yeah. Uh, when this happens, it takes away from the conversation aspect of the podcast and emphasizes the fact that there is an outline for these conversations. Uh, while I cannot guarantee that it has never happened in your show, I can't think of one time where something was obviously supposed to be edited out but was not. Right? Yeah. The production of your show is so good, it feels like you did the podcast in one continuous take without any edits. That is not true, by the way. We're not that good. No. We don't stop and start a lot. Yeah, no, it happens. Mistakes happen. Yeah, but we're pretty conversational. Sometimes we say things that we know we can't include. Uh, it feels like you do the podcast in one take without any edits. Uh, there is much more. Uh, this is much more entertaining because it feels more like an organic conversation and a planned out discussion. Obviously, you guys plan your podcast with outlines and points you want to touch on. Not true. No, no, that is not true. <laughs> and that goes to uh, Jerry's powers and skills. That's right. That, that guy thinks that. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, I, I feel like we said it a gazillion times in interviews, but not everyone reads that stuff. We have our first conversation about the topic right here in the studio. Mm-hmm. We study independently, then we come down, sit down, and we have our first conversation about it. Right. Sometimes there are starts and stops, and Jerry takes care of that. All right, finishing up here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it seems more natural in your podcast than any others that I listen to. So I uh, just wanted to thank you guys for many hours of entertainment, and thank you especially to Jerry. She needs a raise, even if it comes out of your pockets. <laughs> I agree that she needs a raise. Not out of our pockets. But not out of our pockets. And that is from Spencer M. Couch of Couch Law. And I was like, can I mention your law firm? And he was like, please do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is Couch Law in uh, Bountiful, Utah. For all your maritime law needs. <laughs> not in Bountiful, call, Utah. Call Couch Law. I'm not sure what kind of law he practices, but um, if you are in Bountiful, Utah, and you're in need of a lawyer, give him a call mm-hmm. and say, hey, you've got good taste and you appreciate the fine work of, of Jerry, so here's $400 an hour. Right. And if you are in need of a world-class podcast editor, you're going to have to keep looking because Jerry's ours. That's right. Yep. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. All right. She just saluted us. Yes, she did. <laughs> uh, if you want to sing Jerry's praises, we love hearing that kind of thing. Jerry yeah, does just especially. Enough. Oh, is it? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can uh, send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com, right? Yeah. Jerry gets those, too. And you can join us on our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.